This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 90 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Every Day Better. In this episode, I am deeply honored to talk with Satish Kumar, a peace pilgrim, lifelong activist, and former monk who has been inspiring global change for more than 50 years. As a child, Satish renounced the world and became a wandering Jain monk. Then in his 20s, he undertook a pilgrimage for peace, walking for two years without money, not a dime in his pocket, from India to America for the cause of nuclear disarmament. But now, in his 80s, Satish has devoted his life to campaigning for ecological regeneration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. Over the decades, Satish has been uh, the guiding spirit behind a number of internationally respected ecological and educational ventures, including founding Devon's Shoemaker College, authoring multiple books, and presenting the documentary Earth Pilgrim. A world-renowned author and international speaker, Satish founded the Resurgence Trust, an educational charity that seeks to inform and inspire a just future for all. He was the editor of the charity's change-making magazine called Resurgence and Ecologist for more than 40 years, making him the United Kingdom's longest-serving editor of the same magazine. He continues to serve the publication as editor emeritus and by writing for each and every issue. Satish was ordered an honorary doctorate in education from the University of Plymouth, an honorary doctorate in literature from the University of Lancaster, and in 2022, just last year, he received the Goy Peace Award. Satish appears regularly in the media, is on the advisory board of Our Future Planet, and continues to teach and run workshops as a sought-after speaker in the United Kingdom and abroad. Whew! It's amazing. You see why I'm honored? But the focus of today's conversation with Satish, Satish is on his new book, Radical Love from Separation, Connection with the Earth, Each Other, and Ourselves. You will be inspired and uplifted by this conversation with Satish, where he talks about life as a pilgrimage, and the trinity of soil, soul, and society, and how we are all 
soil beings and how activists must become optimists, which is wonderful inspiration in this age of doom scrolling and climate despair. The conversation starts now. Hello, Satish, and thank you so much for joining me. It's a great honor to have you with me. Um, I and have sharing this conversation with you and sharing the conversation with all my listeners. Um, so thank you. It's my pleasure. As my introduction had said about you, you are, if anybody doesn't know about you, um, you are a global leader in activism, um, social justice, uh, spiritual fulfillment, um, and you pretty much have devoted your life to those activities, uh, starting from when you were young, um, uh, Jane Monk, and then going on from there. So um, the thing that I wanted to start with is talking about you as compared to our culture today, okay? People in our culture today, people are referred to as thought leaders. I don't know if you've heard that uh, term, thought leaders. These are influencers, people who talk about, you know, who, who influence people with their thoughts. But I yes. think your life is characterized by more than mere thoughts. <laughs> Although you certainly are a thought leader, um, you are more importantly, an action leader. Uh, that's yes. what I, I would like say. that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. Action leader is better than thought leader. I think I'm going to use that as a subtitle for this episode. But yeah. the whole point is you don't just write and edit and speak about your thoughts. You, you know, your whole life is characterized as doing what they say. You know, you walk the talk, right? You walk the talk. And you yeah. even titled, uh, you have a chapter uh, titled Walking. And it begins with those two sentences. I'm going to quote you. It says, walking is a metaphor as well as an act. When we walk the walk, we integrate the ideal with the reality. We bring principles into practice, unquote. So I see that's a central theme of your book as well as your life, I think. And it's a driving force of what I do in my podcast and my sangha and my community. It's about sort of acting on our innate goodness, our innate compassion, our innate love in everyday ways. Can you talk more about that and how that works in your life? Yes, certainly. Uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And uh, as you say, uh, we need to act. But And everybody acts. But <laughs> one can act for some exterior motive, like for money, for name, for fame, for power, for prestige, for awards, etc. Right. All what you can act as a sense, as a kind of gift, as a service, as a kind of out of love. And so Radical Love, my book, is about that. How to act not for gain of money, power, prestige, awards, recognition, etc. But act out of love and act as a sense of service, as a gift. Because we have received so much from our ancestors. We have received poetry, music, art, culture, architecture, religion, philosophy, language, you name it. <laughs> so we are grateful to our ancestors for giving us so many gifts. 
Now it is our turn to leave some good gifts for the future generations and give some good gifts to our present um, generation. And so my action stems from love and a sense of service. And I do not look for any reward. I don't seek any outcome or any achievement uh, or any result because I feel that results are not in my hands. Only action is in my hands. Results are in the hands of the universe. So if I get some results, I'm grateful and I thank the universe. If I don't get any result, I don't mind. I acted out of love with a sense of service and that was my gift to the world and to the future generations. So that is a kind of my motivation. That's perfect. And, and you know, that's, it's so rare, obviously. Um, and it's also the uh, sort of the anecdote to um, sort of, and this is how I felt in reading your book, which I'll talk about later. It's sort of the anecdote to sort of this uh, prevailing cynicism, you know? Um, and I think that's all based on like, trying to accomplish something. It's always like looking at the end result, the product, what's the payoff? You know, a lot of even people who will come to Buddhism and they'll say, you know, they, they, they think that it's all about reaching enlightenment rather than being a good person. <laughs> so yes. I, I, my I, first book, um, uh, Wendy was called no destination. And I say, it's not the destination. It's the walking, the journey, the pilgrimage, uh, the process itself has its own intrinsic value. Um, life is a journey. Life is a pilgrimage. And therefore, there is no particular destination. Even um, death is not a destination. <laughs> it's a kind of process, part of life. Um, uh, winter is a kind of a, like a death. And then spring comes, and the summer comes, and the autumn comes, and winter again. And so this is a cycle of life. And we are part of this process, part of this pilgrimage. I call it the pilgrimage of life. Life is a pilgrimage. And if you have that spiritual sense, then you can live happily without any burden uh, or, or worry about failure, about not achieving, not accomplishing, all this kind of worry and, and a kind of anxiety which people suffer from. If you have no desire for any result, any outcome, any <laughs> achievement, then you just act out of love and you are happy acting. That's that. I agree with you. Um, it's probably, you know, we'll talk about the later because I want to bring up later about the sort of the clash between um the 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 realistic, um, pragmatic, uh, you know, sensibilities versus what someone might say. Well, that sounds really good, but it's really pretty idealistic. But um, you've had a lifetime of doing it, so I don't think it is. But I'm going to save that for later because I have wanted to get on something about it because you mentioned it just now about um, uh, a goal of money or fame or power. Um, in your book, which I kept being struck by how you put together alliterative words, you know, to remember what was important, you know, the, the, and they were like little mantras that, that could work as like setting your intention, keeping the intention going. Um, and one of the most powerful of these alliterations or mantras was right in the introduction of your book, Radical Love. And it, you wrote, quote, the Trinity of market, money, and materialism has ruled the modern mind for far too long. Now is the time to slow down 
and with humility, listen to the voice of the earth. We need to replace this old trinity with a new one, the trinity of soil, soul, and society. Now you weave that in a couple times later in the book, which I which I love the way you you did that. And so, can you talk more about this new trinity? Yes, uh, this is a new trinity for our time, because in our time we live in compartments, and we live in divisions. We follow some specialism, some expertism. So either you are interested in environment. And, and, and conservation or nature, or you are interested in meditation, yoga, spiritual practice, Buddhism, Zen um, Buddhism, living in a community, etc. Or you say, no, 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 um, the people are poor and we have to work for social justice and so on. I say these things are all interconnected or interrelated. You cannot have healthy people on a sick planet and you cannot have health and environment if you are not uh, well in your own heart, in your soul, in your spirit, in your, your inner, uh, inner world, so to speak. And so I've created this new trinity that taking care of nature, taking care of our planet Earth, taking care of forests and mountains and rivers and oceans and animals, that's all soil. Because the word soil is humus, and humus in Latin means um, soil. And, and human beings come from humus. So humus, human beings are soil beings. So soil for me represents the entire natural world. And so we take care of soil because nature and humans are not separate. We are nature. Nature is not just mountains and forests and rivers and, and animals and birds. We are nature. We are made of earth, air, fire, water, etc. and consciousness. So taking care of the nature is taking care of ourselves. And therefore soul, the spirit, our cultivating our compassion, cultivating our kindness, cultivating our sense of service and generosity and, and love in our heart and living happily within our heart, uh, with meditation, uh, with simplicity, with frugality, with um, contentment. All these qualities are missing in this world. We are living with lots of desires and attachments and clinging and grasping <laughs> and wanting more and more and more and never contented, never satisfied. We are going through wars and conflicts, no compassion, no kindness for human life or natural life. So cultivating soul qualities is as important as taking care of our forests and mountains and rivers and animals and birds. But we are also members of human community. And therefore, at the same time, as we look after the natural world and we cultivate our spiritual um, dimension of our life, we also take care of our humanity. And at the moment, humanity is so divided in the name of religion, in the name of nationality, in the name of race, in the name of uh, uh, politics, in the name of wealth, so many divisions, uh, race like black and white, or gender, women and men. So we always look for divisions. So I'm saying that we are one humanity on one planet Earth, and therefore we are members of a human family, and therefore take care of everyone, irrespective of their race, color, uh, religion, politics, whatever it is. Because at the moment, there's so much animosity. Uh, America, Russia, China, 
India, they are all kind of looking up that in the name of nationalism or in the name of religion or in the name of something. They are prepared to kill people, people to, they are prepared to exploit people. So I'm saying that we need to cultivate a sense of social well-being and social harmony and therefore one humanity. So for me, the, the world of nature, the world of spirit and the world of humans is all one. It's a continuum. And though we have to work at the same time on all these three fronts. Because if we just take care of society and we don't cultivate compassion, it will not help. And if we don't have a compassion and, and, and harmony with the social um, kind of uh, communities, and then we cannot take care of nature either. So we, I see that connection, that interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh called it. We are all interrelated and everything is interconnected. There's no separation. Separation creates division and division creates conflict. And conflicts bring suffering. When separation and divisions end, suffering ceases. And therefore, bringing unity between nature, spirit, and society is my uh, kind of trinity. I just love that. I, I just love you. I, I think, you know, to, to be totally crass and materialistic, I can, I can envision bumper stickers on cars that say that. The new Trinity, you, 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 you know, soil, um, soul and society. And I just love that we are soil beings. You know, I knew the Latin because I took Latin, but I never put it together like that. That was just a, a it, it was just wonderful to me that we are we're soil beings. Um, yeah. And and th that's the thing about the way you write this book and the way I've listened to you on some other uh, th things, the way you teach and speak is that even though maybe people criticize it for being too idealistic, you're always putting the pragmatic into it, even though the, the ideals are lofty. Um, uh, th there is, okay, how do we transform ourselves so this can happen? Because if I can't do something about myself to make myself more compassionate, more loving, more caring for soil and society and my own soul, then I might as well give up trying to make the world any better, right? If I can't do that. So you did emphasize the practice of humility, not just in relationship with others, right? But in relationship with nature, you wrote, nature is not merely a resource for the economy. Nature is the source of life. And, and, and I think you repeated that a couple of times, but I, that's very important because that's like, because we're soil beings. But then in the next paragraph, you wrote, this is not simply a lofty ideal. So here we're going to get into this challenge you get, I think, about being too idealistic. It's pragmatic and practical politics. And you you continue to point to how Mahatma, Gandhi's, uh, Mahatma Gandhi talked about the word, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Sarvodaya. Um, yes, yes, which I yes. will. Yeah. So I'll simplify it now by using the phrase that you used in the chapter, love is all, and that is love for all. Um, so this sort of brings me to this, I, which I want to have you get into with me a little bit is the issue of idealism versus realism. You know, I, um, I'll share just a little bit of how I changed when I read your book. And I think this illustrates that idealism can become realism. 
Because when I first started reading your book, I believe I'm like many who said, um, I had little margin notes, you know, I sort of, I think I'm 70, maybe I'm getting to be an old curmudgeon or something. I have become cynical and I've battled some grief and sometimes depression and sometimes anger over the climate catastrophe, just all the things you said, social injustice, you know, divisiveness, mistrust and hatred of the other. And so as I was reading, I put little notes, geez, I don't know, can I believe this? Can this really be true? Um, but I do share your beliefs. I honestly do. But then I look around, like especially in the United States, but I think it's in a lot of countries because you've pointed this out too, about this sort of this move towards a nationalistic thought. Um, and so I look around at all these nationalistic politics, you know, the racism and the hatred of anyone who isn't like the white Christian men in power in our country. Right. And then I despair and look away. I can't take it. <laughs> and as I continue to read, something shifted in me. You, you had some of, you had some effect on this, this cynical little mind. And, um, my despair started turning to how I can enact change by transforming my, myself. Um, you know, you said, this is the thing that got me. You said, um, we cannot allow our despair to diminish optimism and all activists must become optimists. And this is a quote from you, you said with enduring hope and lifelong commitment, we undertake the journey of transformation. So I started seeing this as like, it's not, I can't keep looking at, like you said, you can't keep looking at what I accomplish and what's going to happen. I can't keep looking at, gee, I can't change uh, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida or G Governor Abbott. You know, I, ca I can't change these political people that seem so negative to me, but I also, but I can change or transform the cynicism and pessimism in myself. So I've said a little too much about me here, but this could be an introduction to you to inspire my listeners, both younger and older, to use their idealism for transformation. Yes. No, what you are saying about this um, uh, contradiction or conflict between idealism and realism, the two things I want to say, First of all, the world is being ruled by the realists, so-called realists. <laughs> and they are not idealists. The Christian presidents don't practice Christianity. <laughs> they don't practice uh, love your neighbor. They don't practice love your enemy. Uh, turn the other cheek. That's a Christian teaching. But they don't practice it. So they are all realists. But what have the realists achieved? We have right. wars. We have poverty. We have a conflict, we have violence, we have a climate change, biodiversity diminishing, world in a very bad place. It's all done by highly educated graduates from um, Yale and Harvard and Cambridge and Oxford and all big, big universities. They are very educated, they are very, very, very pragmatic and they are very realistic, but they are bringing the world to ruin. And therefore, I say realists had enough, enough. Now give idealists a chance. And Mahatma Gandhi was an idealist. Martin Luther King was an idealist. Mother Teresa was an idealist. Uh, Kofi Annan, who was a, a UN Secretary General, was an idealist. And these idealists have a great deal to contribute. And we need a dose of idealism. That's the first point. 
But the second point I want to say is that I'm not a dualistic person. I want to bring idealism and dualism together. Idealism we need. We need a kind of sense of a kind of direction, the sense of values, sense of purpose in life. But we have to also work in a very practical way. So I'm a very practical person. Uh, mm -hmm. I garden, I cook, I work, I start organizations like Schumacher College, like small school, I run a magazine. So um, so there is should be no conflict between idealism and realism. So people saying to me, Satish, you are too idealistic. This world is, be realistic. World is a different place. I say, no, bring idealism and realism together. Only idealism cannot take us anywhere. We have to be pragmatic. But only pragmatism and realism is also ruining the world. We also need idealism. So uh, finally, I want to see a marriage of idealism and realism. But if you want to be to choose one or the other, then I will choose idealism over realism. Because realists are ruining the world, but idealists have not ruined the world. Jesus Christ was an idealist. Buddha was an idealist. Lao Tzu was an idealist. All the great figures that we admire and we follow and we learn from are all idealists. And they were not, I mean, all the kings and all the prime ministers and all the presidents and all the kind of the business leaders, they have come and gone. Who cares? Who remembers them? <laughs> but we remember the Buddha. We remember Jesus Christ. We remember Lao Tzu. We remember Mahatma Gandhi. We remember Martin Luther King. We remember Mother Teresa. And so... I think if you have to choose between uh, two, then I choose idealism. But in the end, I marry the idealism with pragmatism. Yeah, and, and that's so inspiring. And 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 you know, I um, I have I have a similar. My teacher who uh, just passed away last year. I just lost my precious uh, teacher, um, Reverend Coyle Cabose. He used the phrase, and this reminded me of what you wrote keep going as keep a mantra yeah. for yeah. our training as uh, senseis and lay ministers. Keep going was our sort of, no matter whatever happened, he would say, keep going, just keep going. No matter. So somebody, you come to him and you talk about how bad everything was or how bad your life was or that you're ill, or he just kept saying, keep going, keep going. And one of the ways I try to practice with the people that I talk to is to share what we were trained in that keep going. And it was about bringing the Buddha Dharma um, and using like the Bodhisattva ideal, right? It's an ideal. It's totally idealistic. If the, the Buddha, the Bodhisattva, which is a Mahayana ideal is about bringing all beings to enlightenment uh, before yourself. Now, first of all, that's it's the most idealistic, ridiculous thing you could ever imagine. You can't exactly. bring all beings to enlightenment, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. You have exactly. to keep going, right? So I use the Bodhisattva ideal as what I call an intention generator. You know, it's like it's like a little generator that keeps my good intentions going for my actions and my speech and my meditation and my mindfulness. And that's totally aligned with what you seem to teach because you wrote another quote. I'm sorry, I'm quoting so much from your book, but I loved it. Um, quote, we live in harmony with nature, with the earth and with all living beings, with the human and the other than human world. Even when we do not achieve absolute harmony, we maintain that it is ideal worth striving for. 
that is how we need to keep going and circumvent our cynicism, which I am guilty of having that cynicism. Cynicism. Can you speak more to the sort of the what keeps you going, right? What keeps you going? You, you <coughs> talk about how bad everything is, but what keeps you going every day? What keeps me going is trust. At the moment, the world is suffering from trust deficit disorder. <laughs> we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our neighbors. We don't trust um, our politicians. We don't trust anybody. So there's a lack of trust. And that is uh, causing many, many conflicts and problems. So what keeps me going is I trust myself and I trust the universe and I trust nature and I trust people. I trust everybody. I went around the world for two and a half years, walking through 15 countries, 8,000 miles without a penny in my pocket. How did I do it? I trusted the people. I trusted strangers. I went through Christian countries, Muslim countries, communist countries, capitalist countries, rich countries, poor countries, every kind of mountains, deserts, forests, everything. <coughs> and I trusted everybody. So I think we need to bring trust back into our lives. And if we have a trust as a kind of uh, organizing principle of life, then I think we can live a better uh, and a more harmonious life together. So what keeps me going is trust. And in a way, the trust brings you to love because love unconditionally, there are two kinds of love, moderate love and radical love. And my book is about radical love. Yeah. Moderate love is to love somebody you like or you agree um, or you expect to be loved back. That's a moderate love and that's fine. We need that love. We need to love our parents and our children and our husbands and our wives and our friends and our colleagues and our brothers and sisters and all those things are fine. But radical love is to trust even those you don't like <laughs> and love even those you don't agree with and say, I love you and I trust you and let us sit down together and let's find a common sense uh, answer and a common ground and, and a common interest. We are both humans and therefore no need to kill each other in the name of some politics or nationalism or religion or whatever it is. Because the many terrorists go and kill in the name of religion and many uh, legal violence of war and conflict and nuclear weapons is all legal, but they're all in the name of nationalism. And so in the name of religion or nation nationality, whatever it is, we need to trust everybody and we need to love in our heart, radical love. Even if you don't like somebody, you don't agree with somebody, but you love them and you sit down with them and talk to them, give them a cup of tea and say, let's find a solution together. And that's a very hard thing to do because we <laughs> always want self-interest. We are very much driven by ego and radical love and trust is from ego to eco, uh, from G to C, ego to eco. Okay. And so that's what keeps me going. I trust the world and that keeps me happy and strong and energetic and enthusiastic and contented. That's amazing. Um, yeah, you... Um you related a story when you were on your uh, pilgrimage, the 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 eight thousand mile pilgrimage, um, about going into Pakistan 
um, it was during the war between India and Pakistan. And you had a friend that was begging you not to go and, and, and wanting to give you money and food and this, but no, no, I don't want any money and don't want any food. And that story was just amazing that no sooner did you sort of step foot across the border, someone ran to meet you and said, are you those pilgrims? <laughs> and it's like, come and stay in my house. It's like, exactly. I, I, it's sometimes to me, I mean, there's some people would say, could almost not believe it. It's sometimes, but I think there is something to the, the sense of whenever you open your heart wide enough to trust somebody, even if you can't stand them, right. Um, then they feel that there's some kind of energy that happens. And I think their defenses go down, right. Yeah. Do, you, do you think something like that goes on? I mean, it feels like that because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to our rational uh, world, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that basically most of humanity is good and trustworthy. There may be some 0.1% or very, very small number of people who might cheat, who might, um, um, might sort of be, harm you or something. But I am prepared to be cheated once in a while rather than <laughs> living every day in fear and, and a lack of trust. So I trust the world. If Sometimes I face some difficulties, sometimes a problem. And so uh, in my two and a half years of journey, I stayed with thousands of people. Can you imagine? They mm. were strangers completely, but they gave me food. They gave me clothes. They gave me shoes. They gave me everything that I needed and without expecting anything in return. And they will never meet me again. I will never meet them again. And yet they were so kind. So that proved to me that I can trust the world. And if sometimes some people are not good and they cheat me, I'm prepared to live with that rather than live with the fear and mistrust all the time, every day, every single moment, some fear and mistrust. I don't want to live that. Hatred and mistrust and fear is too much a burden to carry on your shoulders. I want to be free of fear and I want to be free of mistrust and I want to be free of uh, this kind of um, uh, kind of um, and, uh, kind of fear again. So so that's my my life. This is how what keeps me going. Yes. That, and that and that is amazing. It, it is like um, the, the, the person we, we create these others, you know, these the other is always the person that we posit as you know, the, 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 person that's not in our tribe, you know, that's not our same political stripe. That's not our, our, our religion. It's not our, this, and it's not our, that. And then if you meet them, you realize, oh, geez, you know, they're charming people, but you have to meet them first. You, you have, um, you have to meet them first. And I think part of the thing, part of the problem too, is like, you know, we're in this virtual world. I mean, I haven't met you really, but I feel like I've met you, but I haven't met you. But what if, if we're, if, if there's somebody that we don't trust or we think we don't trust them because they're the other, would I get on a, a zoom call with them and talk to them? I don't, I don't know. But if, if I ever got sat down at a park with them and park bench with them and had a nice little talk, I would see that they were a human being. And, so throughout your book, you, you write with this sort of same rhythm of like outer ideals of transformation. Um, then you couple them with prescriptions for inner transformation. Like what you just said, I trust everybody. They're all human beings. I might get cheated once in a while, but I'll be, 
doggone if I live in fear about that. So one of the these uh, sort of uh, where you use alliterative <laughs> mantras or suggestions, you have a chapter called The Four Obstacles to Love. And this is sort of like a, a, a focus on inner transformation. And the four, I call, you called them the four C's. They are criticizing, complaining, controlling, and comparing. Now, this is a very powerful formula for inner transformation, and it is actually one that made me squirm a little bit um, since I have much more practice to do in this four areas. But I, I would like if you would like to talk a little more about those four C's. Yes, those four um, C's are in a way kind of a wish to control. I mean, if I judge somebody, and say, I'm better than you, and therefore I want to complain, or I want to criticize you, or I want to control you, or I want to sort of compare you with somebody else. So all a kind of judging somebody, to putting yourself above you, up higher than the other person, and, and judging other person. And so in our religious traditions of every religion, we say, judge not. How, who am I to judge somebody else? Everybody is made in their own way. They have their own imagination. They have their own creativity. They have their own skills. Everybody has their way of doing things. What, what right do I have to judge somebody and complain and criticize and control? And, and um, uh, what was the fourth one? Complain, <laughs> criticize, control, and compare. So, so this is a kind of sense of judgmental. So I would say... Uh, my way of loving people is to judge not and then participate, conversation, participation, dialogue. Together, we make a journey. And when in dialogue and participation, we grow together. I learn from you, you learn from me. We exchange right. ideas. We care for each other. I love you, you love me. This way, uh, it's a more a sense of equality of every human being, the dignity of every human being. Whereas this idea of comparing and criticizing and controlling and, and all those the four C's, they are not uh, a kind of proper spiritual way of life. That's a kind of that kind of judging, judging. So I say that I will accept you, anybody, everybody, as they are. And I want them to be what they are, who they are, and be the, the way they want to be. And then I will also want them to accept me as I am. And from that basic point, we journey together. We have a dialogue. We have a conversation. We have participation. We learn from each other. We teach each other. All that is fine, but without being judgmental and sitting, uh, putting yourself above somebody else. And, and that kind of arrogance and that kind yeah. of pride and that kind of ego that I'm better than you. So I can judge you. I can criticize you. I can complain about you. I can control you. All <laughs> these things are ego centered. So I want to move, as I said before, from ego to eco, from kind of um, uh, kind of arrogance to humility. And that's the way those four obstacles can be removed. That's right. And, and if, if you put those in practice in your daily life, it, it, just like anything that you put in practice, once you start practicing it, it it does get a little easier. And if you if you catch yourself right judging, because ju judging is, I think, a a pretty common problem in our rational 
society, you know, we're almost taught to have doubt and judgment and, you know, not accept things on face value. And are you sure? And, and at least it seems like in our culture and this, in this country, it, it definitely seems that way um, that you're, you're almost taught to like expect the worst and hope for the best or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not good. Um, yeah. uh, well, just one other thing, um, you know, there's much more I'd like to talk about with you, but I don't want to take too much more of your time. It's evening there. I'm going to hold up this book because I'm going to do a YouTube on it. This is the book, um, Radical Love. Wonderful. You won't put it down. I didn't. Um, I just kept going. Um, and so I will post a link to that. I also, I I know that you would don't approve of Amazon. So Usually I post a link to Amazon. I will not post a link to Amazon on this book. Uh, On my uh, show notes, I'll I'll post it to where I think you said you can find it on your Resurgence and Ecologist magazine uh, website. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. Also, you can order through your bookshop. Also, you can maybe order some bookshop.com. There's a kind of small, uh, more kind of less commercial and less domineering. um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think it was either or bookstore.org or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, I've I've been starting frequent that and I'm going to try to switch over my my stuff to that as much as possible in in the name of of good ecological sense um (laughs) but uh before we close is there anything else satish that you would like to say so what i would like to say is that we need to cultivate a magnanimous mind Mm. and a magnanimous heart and all of us have heart and that is courage Uh, courage word courage comes from kur kur means heart and so uh, in order to follow a spiritual path, a path of love needs courage. Path of love, path of compassion is not for the faint heart. <laughs> it's not for the weak. Because loving somebody you don't like and, and trying to work with them is hard path. And therefore, don't look for easy answer. Take the hard path and think that whole cosmos is our country. Whole planet Earth is our home. Nature is our nationality and love is our religion. If you have that magnanimous mind, then you can overcome any problem, any conflict, any division that you face. You can overcome. You have tremendous capacity, tremendous courage, which is given to you. You don't have to go to a shopping mall to buy courage. (laughs) It's given to you. All of us have the heart. All of us have the courage. But courage is sitting dormant. We need to cultivate our courage, courage to love, courage to trust, courage to be an idealistic and and combine idealism with realism. That needs courage and courage needs magnanimous heart. That's all I want to say as my last kind of um, contribution. That's a wonderful way to end it. And it was wonderful to talk with you today. I know what you shared will inspire all my listeners of the podcast as much as it is me. And I encourage them to buy the book, Radical Love, because keep the inspiration going. Use it as a inspiration generator, as I said. So thanks again, Satish. I enjoyed and loved having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
That's it for this episode. You can find more about Satish and his activities, his many activities, including finding links to buy his book, Radical Love from Separation to Connection with the Earth, Each Other, and Ourselves. You can find them in the show notes. Next up, some announcements. As always, a reminder that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported Everyday Sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha is currently in a study of the book Heart of the Shin Buddhist Path, A Life of Awakening by Takamoro Shigaraki. Our meetings consist of a little service first, including a short meditation period, traditional vow recitations and other invocations like the refuge and bodhisattva vows and some chanting. The service in introduces more ritual and liturgy into the structure of our meeting, much like you would find at a non-virtual Buddhist temple, church, or sangha. The service includes a Dharma talk by one of the practice leaders or myself, Wendy Shinyo-sensei, and many times a Dharma glimpse by a volunteer Sangha member. After the service, we open it up to discussion of our current book study or of anything that had been inspired by one of the Dharma talks. Consider joining us, us at the Sangha at this time to be a part of a relatively new study, practice, and a warm and welcome Sangha community. You can learn more about the Sangha by viewing the latest bonus YouTube podcast, where me, Bradley Janayo-sensei, and Terry Hoskin, who are our practice leaders, talk about what the Sangha and what everyday Buddhism is all about. You can also support this podcast and other activities of everyday Buddhism by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to all members-only podcasts, an education series, and a private group on a non-Facebook platform. If you don't follow me or everyday Buddhism on any social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Plus also, you can listen to podcasts there and read about our guests. You can go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on either the tab that says Join Member Community or Join Everyday Sangha. I thank all of you who contribute. This podcast, the community, the Sangha, they all depend on your donations to continue to exist. I don't seek podcast sponsors, and I don't ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships. So my work and the cost of the infrastructure needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded, except for your donations. Please consider a one-time or continuing donation through Patreon or on my website's Donate tab. You can even buy me a cup of coffee on the coffee cup link on the website. Just as a quick thank you. You can find the links in the show notes. 
And thanks, too, to all of you who write in with comments and questions. I do read everything, but can't always respond. And I would love to respond to every one of them. Uh, Another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share this podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. I thank you when you write in and tell me how much you love the podcast and how much it's helped you. But please consider sending a, a, a review you, uh, the way of, uh, of one of your podcast platforms to inform others. So take a minute to comment so people will now know why you love everyday Buddhism. That's all for the announcements. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. Mm-hmm.